It's a podcast crossover as Charles sits down with Deepalm from the MTR Network. We talk about how both love and hate can unite fandoms, whether James Gunn can save the DC movie universe, the inspirational power and influence of half-hour toy commercials, and of course, Transformers. Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk Transformers, a special transmissions podcast. I'm here with Deepom from the MTR Network, another awesome podcast network. Uh, they're primarily uh, Marvel, Star Wars, uh, you know, larger geek culture, but uh, Deepom has a special place in his heart for Transformers. So uh, uh, we've and we've done podcasts in the past, so I was happy to to have him back on. Deepom, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Any opportunity to indulge in my love for uh, Transformers, I will take. I will I will jump in attention. And I always love talking to you. So uh, very excited to be here. Great. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. So maybe uh, just just as a little bit of introduction, why don't you tell everyone uh, about uh, your podcast, MTR Network, uh, Unanimous Decision, all that stuff, uh, so we can get jump right in. Right on. Uh, so the MTR Network is a uh, network of podcasts. It was started, gosh, had to be 2009 now. Uh, the Insanity Check podcast was the flagship, and I was a fan, a listener, and I moved to a new city, and I wanted to do something on my own. So I kind of bugged the hell out of Chris till he let me guess on a couple of things. And then he kept, we started, launched a couple of TV review uh, podcasts. And then as uh, where I was doing my old sports show wound, wound down, I moved the whole sp- sports opera apparatus, if you will, to MTR Network. And so now we're at episode, I think, 250 of uh, UD Pod. Awesome. And a, a between two palms sprinkled in there a little, a couple of times, uh, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's nice. I get to talk to the, my best friend, my, my wife and I, um, we sit down and talk about things that I've kind of brainwashed her with. I've tricked her into liking Star Wars. <laughs> I'm still working on Transformers. She supports the physical buying habit and that she's never gotten mad, <laughs> but I can't like, I, and, and honestly, there are like inside jokes around the house now where it's like. You talk TV, I talk some TV. Like, there's some little things I've been able to <laughs> sprinkle in and kind of brainwash her with. But the first one that really took hold was uh, was definitely Star Wars for her. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so you guys are, the MTR Network in general, you guys are my go-to for uh, just comic book discussion in general, MCU in particular. Uh, I always listen to you guys for, you know, what's going on with the, you know, the latest MCU uh, shake my head at what's going on at Warner Brothers in DC when you guys are talking about it, and, you oh. know. Uh, but uh, you know, it's it's always fun to listen to you guys. And then, of course, the insanity check. It's a little bit depressing, but you know, it's it's <laughs> it's reality. Unfortunately, it's it's the reality we're living in. Uh, so I still enjoy listening to you guys. But uh, I, I, we, you know, we stopped doing it weekly after 2016. We thought we maybe had caused some of it. We didn't. It wasn't our fault, but we definitely <laughs> felt like. If we weren't recording every week, maybe the world wouldn't feel the need to rise to the level of talk about nerdy, worthy news every week. <laughs> no, nah, yeah, and, and Chris, Chris is always blaming you. I think he, he's, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's a little bit hard on you. But in, I, I in his it, defense, you know. there was a run where, like, every time we'd announced that I was on the show, it would be the worst <laughs> week ever. And we're like, what, what's going on here? Maybe we should just spring yeah. on people, not tell anyone. <laughs> and that still didn't work. It was just he and I that knew. The week would still get weird, and people would be like, "Is Deep Home on the show this week?" It's like, "How did?" Yeah, I am, but it, should, it shouldn't be this easy to figure out. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, I think it's unfortunately, uh, you know, we're 
we're uh, we're kind of caught up in the in the sweep of history. I don't know if there's anything we can do to stop it, but you know, the, the old uh, saying, "May you live in interesting times." It's never felt like more of a threat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and I know you know. So uh, we've uh, you know we've talked in the past about IDW Transformers. I think that's mm-hmm. for me. That's always been the like the high water mark for Transformer storytelling, particularly the um, John Barber James Roberts era of IDW comics. Uh, of course, Transformers has a long history of uh, of lots of different media, tra- TV, comics, movies, and you know, live action movies. That's a it's a bit of a of sore spot for me. I know it's a sore spot for you and and to all our listeners and watchers out there who love the the Bay movies. Um, I'm not gonna you know we're we're not gonna get into a <laughs> hour long discussion about our problems with it, but just know that uh, we you know. <laughs> That's where that's the biases we're coming from. The, I think I think the thing I've had to learn regarding that conversation is not everything's not for everybody because you see people yeah. in the fandom who that was their window in, and far be it for me to yeah. say, well, here's how it ruined my childhood. I just kind of <laughs> stow those feelings away and and, and say, yeah. you know what, you it's it's not its existence doesn't actively hurt me, so. I just <laughs> I've chosen not to engage with a lot of this stuff. I've, I'm in a very zen fandom place where it's like I don't. There's a show on CW right now called Gotham Knights. I find it a, an actual affront to everything that I love about Batman. <laughs> However, I have friends who are extras in that show because it's filmed in Atlanta. So I have friends who have like wow. a straight stronger tie to the show. So, and, and I, w- I was very vocal early on about how I thought it was a bad idea. And a couple of them reached out and said, hey, this is a product that really matters to me. Whether you think so or not, people listen to your voice. Maybe don't bash at me, you're not going to watch. I said, you know what? That's fine. And so my stance has been for years if I don't like it, I don't talk about it. I didn't talk mm-hmm. about the second run of IDW Transformers. Um, I don't talk about the main movies because it's just not for There's an audience <laughs> out there somewhere who grabbed it and loved it, and I'm happy for them. I'll never be that guy. So I just had to find yeah. my place with that. No, that's that's totally fair. I think that's – and that's definitely a, a good stance to have. Uh, so maybe let's let's go back to the beginning because I want, I want to hear about maybe how you got into just – fandom in general i know i mean you you talked about like comics in general marvel and dc star wars transformers of course um and you know of course you're also a big sports guy too which i think sports is just another it's a it's another nerdy passion it's just you know people seem to think it's uh it's it's somehow different from from every other you know every other nerd obsession that people people love but i i want to hear a little bit about like you know what are your what are your what's your origin story how did you how did you get into all this stuff I, I hope this will be a question. So I wanted to pull up the exact issue, the first comic book I remember reading. Classic X-Men number six, Merry Christmas X-Men, The Sentinels Have Returned. Um, I was probably seven or eight at a friend's house, being being bad, going through his big brother's room, and we found this big stack of comics. And I think it was <laughs> like right around the time of Jim Lee's X-Men 1, the best-selling comic of all time, right around the time of the animated series coming to uh, Fox, I believe Fox mornings on saturdays and for me it was like wait these things i watch on television they exist outside of that and for me it was kind of like oh wow look at all these stories and i'd always been a voracious reader from the second i could and so the idea that you would marry these writerly nerds with this this artistic medium really kind of resonated heavily with me um you mentioned sports for me that's just another storytelling medium when we grew up, there was things like Sports Illustrated for kids. Like there were articles and long form pieces where, yes, the results matter, but more importantly, were 
the stories. We're the stories behind the athletes. It's not, yes, is a football Saturday great? Sure. But before that Saturday, they run soft focused pieces on these athletes to tell you who they are as people, to tell you their journeys. And that can be more engaging even than the 60 minutes on the field. And so for me, it's all storytelling. It is the human, the generational desire for storytelling. We, we are able to learn and pass down stories. You look at uh, Greek mythology, that's, they're all allegorical tales that are basically morality plays. And so for me, fiction, particularly Transformers, became a way for me to look at the different problems in society or engage with them and allow us to give that, that a bit of distance. Because it's one thing to say, oh, at one point, we traveled off-world and decided that we identified more as she's than he's, as robots. And that's an idea that they put in the IDW comics. Mm-hmm. And it was taken and accepted and rolled with, and, and I'm sure there was some people who had a problem, but we don't give those people air to, to, to speak. But you translate that to real life, and you watch how fraught and how manipulated the existence of certain people are to engender hate or fear. And you have to ask yourself, wait, I came to this early. Like I came to this from a different lens. I've already, this has already been a deal for me. Uh, The idea of I'm going to be a father soon. The idea of my, my son is my going to be my genetic replacement on this earth is one thing, but I watched Wally West take the baton from Barry Allen in 1987. So it's hard. It's easier for me. For me, it's been a, Stories are a way for us to engage with the larger world without having to go through or without having to go through the growing pains of some of that larger world. If I can say, hey, I've, I can look at these experiences. I, I jokingly say this. I've never met a person as good as Peter Parker ever because <laughs> he's an idealized person. And so if I can bring a little power and responsibility to my life, then someone watching me who I don't even know is paying attention just sees the way I carry myself and just sees that. And, and maybe that's inspirational. And maybe that's me overthinking these things, but that's kind of what transformers and stories and my addiction to those stories has wrought. All right. Well, and I know you're uh, you're a few years younger than me. So I think, uh, I think you might, you might be about 10 years younger than me because I think I was, uh, I was 10 years old in 1986. So I saw the, the 86 movie in theaters um, I think you were born in 1986, so you you came to a little yeah, bit right later. There, right there. 85. Okay, all right. So I'm curious how how did Transformers hook you? Uh, since you came a little bit later, were I mean you were right smack dab in the Beast Wars era. Did did the Beast did Beast Wars hook you, or or were you still was it so still I, G1? I didn't grow up in a okay. household where we we had a bunch of cable or things of that nature. So okay, I remember when we moved. At one point, they had aired the Transformers movie on network television, and I had filmed it. I had recorded it on a VCR. Kids, a VCR was a box for <laughs> television, and you'd put a smaller box inside that box, and you could record things <laughs> on television. It's crazy stuff. Um, and we moved to Atlanta, and I looked for my tape. I looked for my tape, and I found my tape, and my dad had taped over it with some golf tournament. And I couldn't be more hard <laughs> And... From then on, when my mother would take me to like, we'd go to like uh, Turtles or Blockbuster, before Blockbuster, or a local video store for the weekend, say, what's the movie you want to watch? I'd always grab the Transformers animated series. It was on VHS. And it was always the same uh, episodes. It was, I uh, forget the name of the episode, but it's where uh, Prowl and Blue Streak have to get chased back from the Decepticons. 
which made Blue Streak my favorite Transformer, which is a really weird reason <laughs> to have that be your original first tra- favorite Transformer. But that was it, man. That was me. I was a Blue Streak guy. And I watched, I could, I could quote those episodes today, just I watched them over and over again. So by the time Beast Wars came out, I was a little, I was, I was, <laughs> I was original, not my Transformers. My truck, not monkey. Okay? I was, I was inadvertently the beginning. I was like, that's not Transformers. It's ridiculous. And I've come back and I revisited it now older and I, I appreciate it for what it is. But my roots and my origins, my loves are the animated series, the original one. To the point where mm-hmm. I, to this, in my house right now, there are four copies of that movie. And <laughs> I watched, fun story, I was a, I played college football, I played high school football. Before every start I made from the year I was, from 15 years old to I stopped playing football, the night before the, the, the game, I watched Transformers the movie. And wow. I don't know why, <laughs> it just got me mentally locked in, I was ready to do it. But that was it, man. I, I, I. I love Transformers. I'm sitting in my office right now. I'll send you a picture when we're done, but I've put up new shelves and got the Transformers all in the office right now on display. And and it's just, it's something that stuck with me for years. And I think honestly, when you're in 1986, 1987, and your parents buy you a toy, it's two toys. It's a car and a robot. Wait a second. (laughs) Now we're talking value picks. And so I think that, I think it was a lot of factors, a lot of timing, a lot of access thing. But for me, it was, it was, I don't know if you remember this, but at one point they were show old Transformers shows on network television, but the bumper was a giant animatronic yep. Optimus, Power Master Optimus Prime with the kid in his hand. And I was like, yes. I could be that kid. That, it, was such a, it was such a, without them forcing the insert of like, this is your child relatable character that they've done kind of in the later series. It was, it allowed more freedom for me for you because it was a bigger cast. You could pick a favorite and see when the favorite would show up. And now it's like a very pared down cast because they're selling smaller batches of toys, which makes financial sense. But I would always, I always think back, man, what if there's a kid who didn't connect with your four core? What if there's a kid who was like, I love gears. What a weird kid, right? But that kid existed. <laughs> and so I, 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 I am nostalgic for the thing that I had, but I do think that the, uh, watching the fandom and the atmosphere around it grow has been very cool because you remember this is a we're the first generation that's ever happened before, because before yeah. a thing happened and it was over and you moved on, and mm-hmm. now because of the advent of streaming and all the different access points, you can have people say it was better in my day and then push play to try to prove it, and so we're <laughs> actually like this is a very interesting time to be in fandom or to be caring about these things because for so long these weren't. Batman wasn't Batman before Frank Miller. Batman was a, a, a comic book that you read and you moved on. And now you have people arguing over he would never do this. Like Batman wore rainbow suits, bro. Like, what are you talking about? And so <laughs> it's we're in a very unique time. And Transformers came out at a unique time where it latched onto a, a group of kids who it, it captured their imagination, but not only that, it gave them an avenue moving forward. So the people who are writing now, you're James Roberts, you're John Barbers. Those guys were fans first. And that was never the case before this generation. Fans, fans, what? Fans don't matter. It would, they were, they were, they were advents to dollar signs. But now you've got fans speaking fan language to other fans. And so that I think it really has changed our relationship with media in general and specifically with Transformers because you know this better than I do. 
there were hearings at the time when Transformers came out, when these Saturday morning cartoons rolled out. They said, you cannot just sell toys for 30 minutes. That's ridiculous. There has to be a message. There has to be a larger educational purpose. And because of that, it, it, it kind of made those shows of the 80s and early 90s those same morality plays I referenced earlier. It, it was a way to teach mm-hmm. kids larger lessons than just saying, and I'm sure, and again, I'm detached from television today. I know that there are shows like that, uh, Avatar, Steven Universe, there's a lot of shows that do that today, but it was a congressional mandate at one point that if you're going to sell us toys for 30 minutes, you better have some, there better be some some vitamins in that chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's funny because it, I always feel like I'm of, I'm of two minds with the origins of Transformers. Like, it feels like it was such a like it was such a cynical uh, move in the eighties. Like it, you know, was the Republicans deregulating, uh, you know, cartoons and for toy turning, like allowing cartoons to become 30 minute toy commercials. Uh, But at the same time, this produced a lot of these things that, and, and, you know, really brainwashed us uh, to all these things that we've loved for, for years and years. Uh, But without that, you know, these things, these things might not have uh, not have happened, at least might not have hit in the same in the same way that they did. And I think that's the bigger point is that I'm on pins and needles for the next Ninja Turtles trailer from Seth Rogen. It was able to not just say, oh, this is a thing that happened. This is a thing that grabbed us and helped mold a lot of these kids and and gave them a moral center when their parents were too tired to babysit them and said, hey, here's a television sit in front of this. (laughs) But. You know, G.I. Joe, it was it was always something more than just a toe commercial. And I think that's why we've seen it survive for so long and resonate for so long. And we're coming up on, what is it, uh, uh, 40s Transformers, which is mm-hmm. wild to me. Yeah. And this is a, it, it is 40 years of a four-issue limited series in Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I, I, I think it's absolutely fascinating the way it's all broken this way. And it, and it, Makes me curious to see what's next for the for the uh, the, the the brand, if you will, um, specifically Transformers, because you watch other things that we loved change and grow and evolve and be taken more seriously than they ever had before. Mm-hmm. Claremont's X Men run changed Marvel Comics, and I would posit that the IDW Gen One changed Transformers for the better, in my opinion, but it definitely changed it. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned like some of the like, and I I give a lot of credit to um, to Hasbro for kind of getting out of the way and a lot of the themes that have been put in the particularly in the IDW comics, like a lot of the LGBT uh, content that was in particularly in James Roberts and John Barber's run, there was never any discussion or like pushback from Hasbro as to to put that in there and and allow that those stories to be told. I mean, now we have in the larger culture, we have a lot of backlash for, um, for trans people, which is something that was, you know, I guess IDW like five or six years ago was, was already addressing this. And, and it's just interesting to see. And so I, I give Hasbro a lot of credit on that end for, um, you know, for being kind of just not just being <laughs> benevolent corporate overlords. In, well, in that well sense. a lot of that is the fact that they'd made their money, the licensing fees, the licensing fee. And so, yeah. Their move is their move's always going to be the bottom line, but they know that the thing that moves their bottom line isn't the comics, good, bad, or indifferent. The toy sales mm-hmm. are largely independent of the comics on the shelves. And so yeah. once they've done that calculus, 
it allows your creative people who came up to the world of fan fiction to say, hey, here's some things that I want to tell. Here's some larger societal things that I think I can address through this medium, whether it's explicit in their thoughts or not. But they're bringing the things that they love, the things that they care about, things that this franchise has taught them to value into their writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I do see there is a there is a bit of a downside because when the comics like is particularly when I remember when the IDW comics were getting a lot of uh, you know critical acclaim and and being kind of recognized by the larger comics world, that's the point where Hasbro was like, put those put put these toys in there, please put you know, and it's kind of like oh. you know, it's the same, <laughs> you know, you you are you are still a toy commercial for us, so you got to put these toys in, and that and that kind of that kind of you know that that kind of pushed some of the some of the storylines they were going a little bit sideways, and you know you can well, tell it's, it's because they the, smelled opportunity. They're like, wait a second, yeah, people people. Are, I think the, the larger point is comics are always going to be an additive thing to their to their uh, um, yeah. balance sheet. They're never saying this comic's costing us money. <laughs> they will say that comic's <laughs> making money. Throw the, throw the toys in that bad boy. Let's make it happen. Let's. Ooh, that design looks great. It'd be a lot better if it matched this toy. And so I think that uh, it, it was almost the damning of great success. It was. Oh, you guys are growing, and this is great. But now that you're growing, we're gonna slap some uh, some some pack in comics with these toys, and you better make it work. And for yeah. and and for the larger point, I think they did. I really do, and and it's you can we can quibble over certain issues or certain decisions, but by and large, it didn't really throw off the larger feeling of the universe that we were reading, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I I could agree with that. I I do I do think so. Like I I think largely, uh, John Barber kind of kind of threw threw himself on that grenade for for a lot of the a lot of the mandates and let James Roberts kind of do his thing. And in more than meets the eye and lost light, and was largely protected from those uh, from those mandates. But John Barber, of course, he is also kind of the master of uh, of like figuring out different continuities and making things work. So he was like, "Yeah, I'll you know I'll incorporate your toys. I'll just you know move it, shift little things over here, and it'll be fine." <laughs> That's a real needed skill set when you're working on licensed properties. Like sometimes you've yeah. got a larger paymaster, and it's not just IDW and Transformers. It's Marvel centering the Inhumans when they had the show coming out. It's Marvel mm. backburnering mutants where they didn't have the rights to the X Men. It is, yeah. it's it it happens it it happens so fluidly. I think other places because we see the larger corporate animal that it's so jarring when you're like the toy company wants you to do this. Like wait a second, you mean it wasn't some larger Transformers collective? No, no, no. The toy company that owns the rights <laughs> to all of this has decided that uh, Trailbreaker is going to get his own uh, spotlight issue. <laughs> And we lost the rights to tra- the name Trailbreaker, so he's Trailcutter now. So, hey, <laughs> if Robin can become Nightwing, by God, he can become Trailcutter. <laughs> but you know, I, I do think the the lasting, like the lasting impression of the IDW stuff now, like we have with the newer. Uh, I don't know if you've you've checked out the the most recent cartoon, uh, Transformers Earth Spark. But that's being done by uh, Boulder Media, which is an Irish-based company, and Nick Roche is on their payroll doing character design uh, for their um, for their characters. So he's he's actually done a lot of the the character design for the most recent cartoon, um, and all it seems like all the the people at Boulder Media are IDW heads because a lot of the IDW influence i can see get makes it into those cartoons. It's still you know it it is definitely a I, I, 
I cannot recommend it to adult Transformers fans because it is squarely focused on kids, which is fine. I mean, it's a it's a great kids show. Uh, but the stuff that they they deal with in the cartoon, the 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 main human family are people of color. It's a black mom and a Filipino dad, uh, and it's uh, um, you know the one of the one of the new Transformers who was born on Earth is non-binary, which you know it's it's really interesting to see all these things getting into the the newest cartoon and there being really like no wider pushback or you know angst or you know anxiety about it so it's it's really cool to see that um so yeah i mean if if you haven't checked it out i would you know i would say you know just take a look see what's going on there but it is it's interesting to see how that that uh, that is continuing forward with and transformers is pushing things forward which is really interesting and that's streaming on paramount plus yeah it is okay i'll give it a shot yeah they've got uh, i think they've got like 18 episodes out right now so right you can, can take a look um yeah i mean and then, of course, uh, you know, I I want to circle back around to, of course, we got the latest movie coming out just a couple we're a couple weeks away from the latest movie. Uh, we talked about, you know, Bayverse kind of, at least, you know, it's it it leaves a little it leaves a bad taste in our mouths for you know for movies. I know you famously were um, were not t- watching the Bumblebee movie. I think the you know the Bay the Bayverse movies kind of soured you on Transformers movies in general. You bowed out on the Bumblebee movie, although I I will still say it's a different director. It's a it's a I mean some I've, some I've seen the li- scene, I've seen okay. the opening scene, I've been exposed <laughs> to it, and I've still not folded. I'll say this though: they ran that first commercial, the first real trailer for uh, the new movie, and I'm but one man, Charles. I am but one man who's <laughs> who, who's in love with one movie. And they put that big planet eater in the trailer, and I was like, "Well, what aren't they showing me?" And that's what yeah. always gives me like, "Ooh, they, they showed me this. What aren't they showing me?" And it's it's not Orson Welles, and um, <laughs> it's not it's it's not the it's not Robert Stack. It's not Leonard Nimoy, but it, it it's Unicron, and mm-hmm. Unicron's not the Earth, which I thought was a weird like carryover from the Dreamwave stuff. But yeah, it it's got my attention. I can't make. I, I have not seen a Transformers movie in a while. And mm-hmm. this is the first one where I'm like, ooh, I may have to buy a ticket on a Friday matinee and duck out of work and not tell anyone. <laughs> but it's, it's, it, it's I, I think that, again, this is another time where, like, the fandom's catching up with the media. So whether you're into these movies or not, whether you um, these movies resonate with you, the last the Bumblebee and this one, they're made with a level of care that wasn't, in my opinion, present in some of the early ones. With not even care, a level of respect for the source material. Um, And so for me, that says that someone on staff picked up a Transformers book at some point. Someone on staff Mm -hmm. said, oh, this is how these characters interact. This is how we can integrate some of the human characters, human elements. And they came... A perfect example is famously Brian Singer who we've all, we've all heard the stories about now, but at the time when he did the first X-Men, it was like, oh, Brian Singer doing X-Men. And one of the big mandates was no comics on set. Yeah. And I could never understand that. You've got 60 years of storyboarding. You've got 60 years of proof of stories that work, that resonate. And you're saying, why would I look at any of that? And so <laughs> for at least from the outside looking at just the trailers, again, it looks like this team has said, 
Well, you know, we're not going to be beholden to the comics, which I don't think you or I would appreciate either. If they just retold mm -hmm. a story I've already knew, I wouldn't, that wouldn't resonate with me fully. But adapting it to another medium, saying, oh, here's care and love and giving the robots like distinct looks and personalities and not just like, again, my opinion, a CGI vomited on the screen. And so I think the perfect example for me was during the trailer, there's a tracking shot of, of an entire tracking shot of the fight in the Beast Wars trailer. And you're like, wait a second. Someone, not a bunch of fast cuts, obfuscating the action? Wait mm -hmm. a second. Characters showing who they are through their actions in the battle? Maybe, just maybe, Optimus Prime not being a war criminal? I, I just, I, these things all are like, okay, <laughs> these are... These are steps in the direction that I can get behind. And so I'll probably wait for your review. I'll probably wait for some more people who I trust to watch it first. But it's it definitely has my attention. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, my my complaint for, uh, like, like you said, my complaint with the, with the previous movies was uh, largely that the Transformers were not treated as kind of full-fledged characters and, and drivers of the story. They were they were pretty much treated as as kind of props and and effects and that's it and the humans were were really in focus and with right. these trailers at least it does seem <laughs> like the transformers are in focus they are they are driving the story the humans are there the human the humans are definitely there and and they're you know they're interacting but the focus is on the transformers it's like and Listen I see the, the, the hurt post in our voices <laughs> Listen to the, the fear <laughs> the trepidation I don't know I'm just saying it looks like I'm just... <laughs> qualifiers in the world because we've both been burned before we've been excited yeah. and let down and so while it's i'm laughing but it's a real it's a real concern <laughs> and it's one i hope they've addressed and i'm in that defensive crouch so i'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm hey, stealing myself for, sorry, for this point. i'm the same way <laughs> but yeah but yeah i mean but you know the, despite that i i am i that trailer did hook me uh you know we did a we did a live trailer reaction and, uh, um, you know, I, I, when I watched it, I was, yeah, I, seeing that shot of Unicron and hearing, hearing them say Unicron is coming. I was like, okay, all right, let's, let's go. Timelines and multiverses. And you're like, all right, don't, yeah. let's walk before you run. Let's walk before you run. <laughs> but I love where your head's at. I love the ambition. Um, yeah. Let's just see if you can land this plane. <laughs> So yeah, so yeah, so I'll I'm, I'll definitely uh, I, I've I, I've already bought my tickets. So I'm, good, good. <laughs> I'm getting ready. So so yeah, but but we will definitely have a review. So you know, I'll let you know. I cannot wait. <laughs> but uh, you know, I am I am what's I am seeing uh, what's interesting with with Transformers and like I, I mentioned, like the the whole the cast of the the Paramount cartoon is people of color. People of color all over this movie. So it's Stephen Capel Jr., African American director. We just interviewed uh, Jean-Nic Bonton, the um, the composer. He's also African American. The main cast, uh, Latino African American. So it's like, did they need black people to save the movie? Nobody would wave in the movie. Like it's it's very interesting. You're not. I mean, it's you're not wrong. It's it is. <laughs> But I also think that's part of, like, if you look at historical um, educational trends, black kids, in, by and large, in the education system, they latch onto the stories of the Greeks and Roman mythology. Because, they're, like I said, they're morality stories at the core. Mm -hmm. They're teaching 
through the experience of others. And I think because of a baseline level of empathy required to exist as a person of color, particularly in this country, that you're more open to other experiences. You're more open to saying, oh, I see parts of myself in this thing without needing to see all of yourself in this thing. And so depending on how far they take this, even going back to the origin of Megatron, where the, particularly the IDW one, where it is fighting for an underclass. And then that fight mm-hmm. got a little bit out of hand and turned into a <laughs> nine million year civil war. And so it's it's it is it's relatable in a way that I think speaks to a non-majority experience. And I think that's a lot of science fiction. While historically you've seen the majority experience writing these stories, as we talked about, excuse me, the idea of fandom moving into the creator seat. This is where we're seeing it. Because yeah. you look at the cast of X and you're like, that's a bunch of white people in a mansion. And you're not wrong, but they're talking <laughs> about and living and communicating a minority story. And so, yeah, it's easier for, I, in my opinion, this is all just one guy living his life as a nerd. But I think that when you get deeper into these fandoms, it's it's the minority voices that want to find the nuance in the story and say, not just say, ooh, car to truck. Cool. Like, it's yes, that is cool. It is cool that that robot turns into a truck. That's objectively cool. No one denies this. But it's cooler that at the core of that truck robot is freedom is the right of all sentient beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I remember, I distinctly remember uh, back at the IDW comics, you had John Barber specifically put a scene when the Transformers were coming back to Earth. You had them living, you know, living among the humans, and you have Jazz uh, like de-escalating a situation with cops and uh, and black kids, and you know, putting that on the page. Uh, and you know, this is bef- you know, this is before 2020, before kind of Black Lives Matter became as big as it did. And but you know, long it, after they cast Scatman Crothers as Jazz, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> Man, no, yeah, it's 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 very interesting. I'll just say that. So I'm I'm yeah, cautiously optimistic, looking towards the movie. It's a great place um, to be. <laughs> I want to I want to move over to maybe um something that's a like I I mean I know Transformers is is your thing as well but the MCU and and the the Marvel movies definitely your wheelhouse. Uh I always I tune into you guys on on the MTR network for your movie reviews and and spoiler spoiler filled discussions. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I feel like at least I'm still enjoying the the MCU. I'm enjoying all the stuff that's coming out. But uh, social media and the entire internet is telling me that the MCU is uh, is is has lost a step and, and is crashing and burning, and I'm and I keep wondering why why do people keep want to wanting to take down the MCU or don't like where it's going? I mean, I I definitely see that you know we're kind of at a point where we don't know exactly where the roadmap is. Uh, I also know things are gonna things are probably gonna change significantly with the whole thing with Jonathan Majors going on. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a problem for uh, you know going forward. But in general, I've, I've been pretty happy with the you know Marvel stuff and and really enjoying the Disney Plus shows. So I'm wondering, like, what do you think the issue is? Like, everyone is like so, the MCU is failing, right? So it was a conscious decision of my, for myself to say I don't talk about things I don't like um, because I looked around at one point when we we're doing MTR and I saw. 
the YouTube videos near us or or podcasts near us were always like, here's why this thing is bad and you're wrong. And I'm like, wait a second. And it made me think a lot about the nature of humanity. And I'm in sales. That's my life. My life is sales. My father was a salesman. Um, And one of the first things I learned in sales was there's two ways to sell things, fear or greed. Either make it so they're scared not to have it or make it seem they can't live without it. And the second thing I realized about human nature was it's way easier to unite people and get clicks off of hate than it is off love. Because, Charles, let's say you and I grew up together and you and I loved Power Rangers. In 20 years, that love may fade, change, or vanish. But, Charles, if you and I grew up together and we hated olives, my dude, I see you in 20 years, we're going to dap up over some hating olives. <laughs> and so it's easier to sustain. It takes less energy. You see it in our politics. It's easier to say, here's what you should be against than say what you should be for. And so yeah. the short answer is laziness and greed. <laughs> the longer answer is they're emulating what works. They looked around the, 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 the world and said, oh, the angry people get the clicks. Uh, what's the young lady's name who has me blocked? Grace Randolph or Rudolph, whatever her name is. She'd tell you from sun up to sundown how Star Wars is falling apart. Meanwhile, someone who takes in all that stuff loves it. So when people tell me the MCU is failing, I have to, I'll directly challenge them. I'll say, what do you mean? Well, mm-hmm. the Ant-Man, the third Ant-Man, I stop him there. I said, that's the most financially successful Ant-Man movie. Point two you're arguing with me about an Ant-Man movie. We're doing great. <laughs> We're doing super. Because it's not like, I think what happened was people thought everything was going to be in-game. And it was. it's the same problem with capitalism. And what's wrong with a lot of the things in our society is that people see this thing that grows and they project that that growth will never stop. Mm-hmm. But it has to. It has to. Like, just numbers and math and human trends. I'm a storytelling. I'm a professional wrestling fan. And I have a wife. And I love Transformers. I am literally a unicorn. But <laughs> in a wrestling match, you can't have 20 minutes of high spots. There's nowhere to breathe. No one's excited for the next high spot if there's no down spot. There's a great Shawn Michaels story. He's wrestling. I have to think it was Chris Jericho. And it was Jericho, one of Jericho's first big matches, and they had a huge spot, and the crowd's going nuts. And Jericho looked at Michael and said, stay down. I said, what? Stay down. And the crowd died. And he said, well, what about now? Stay down. And the crowd brought themselves back up. And mm-hmm. the addiction isn't necessarily to the storytelling. The addiction is necessarily to the next biggest thing. It is to the feeling of investment. And I can't get invested in you if everything is moving at a breakneck speed. Hey, Mission Impossible is very, very successful for a franchise. They've done, I think it's nine, nine of them now. I can't name one memorable villain or memorable line. One thing that I walked to that theater beyond the stunts. And so it comes to really, what do you want out of your media? Do you want... Breakneck, Fast and Furious, Family Core, bunch of stunts. Cool, we've got that for you. But Marvel, you talked about the shows. Or do you want something that takes eight episodes to tell you, hey, the way we treat our veterans in this country is really shameless. The way we treat 
impoverished people in this world is really shameless. The way we could choose to do better. It's deciding that you want to do something more with this. It's deciding that striking's worth it's worth striking over. It's worth saying, hey, we poured our hearts and souls and minds and love into these words. We need to be more fairly compensated. And so for me, again, I, I can only speak for myself. I just think that there's so much ability for varied storytelling. And with Marvel, why aren't they making so much money? They've got coffers, bro. They've sold billies. <laughs> they don't need each one to be a billion-dollar seller. The MCU's dying. They just gave you No Way Home, bro. Like, what are you talking about? They're about <laughs> to give you the Marvels. I love Lord Love and Thunder. Cool, you have no soul. That's great. Love and Thunder is a movie about a god where the first 15 minutes is the god saying you don't matter and they will never love you. <laughs> the most recent scene in the Andor is about the dangers of capitalism and how it destroys the human spirit and enslaves us all. And whether you want to say, oh, that's not the, I wanted laser swords and wizards. Cool. We've got that too. But there's <laughs> got to be more if you want to have generational fans. If you want to have fans where you hand it down to someone else. My son's nursery is full of Transformer stuff, Marvel stuff, Star Wars stuff. One of the reasons for that is they haven't sold children to Superman in about 20 years. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I would love some S-Shield stuff in there, man. I would love some Bat stuff in there. There's nothing really that's age-appropriate for a nursery at this point. There's no in, There's no entry point. And so, Stan Lee says this thing that I try to bring to every podcast I do and everything I do. Every comic is someone's first comic. Yeah. And so, you've got to be ready to introduce the ideas. And so, let's say Thor Love and Thunder was someone's first Marvel movie. You say to yourself, that's weird. We're also men of a certain age with a disposable income and a lot of free time. <laughs> Somebody turned 11 or 12 or 13 and got to go see Love and Thunder in theaters for their birthday. And it's yep. a story about love. And that's cool to me. It's got scenes where kids are wielding the power of Thor through, the, through believing in each other. That's cool to me. If I was a kid watching that Witcher film on the screen, hey, when people get mad about Star Wars, why isn't there blood? What are you talking about? It's <laughs> it's a space western for children. Why do you want blood? Go to therapy. And so I think that for so long, this is the dark side of the thing I talked about earlier, is that for so long, these properties were kind of our salve or kind of our, our way to, to enter the world. And then we get mad that they don't mature at a, at a rate or in a direction that we think they should. But at the core, when you hear Lucas talk about Star Wars, that's a story about hope. End of the end of line. It's a story rooted in hope and the idea that you can always be better than your last decision. That yeah. still resonates with me. So for some people, they I'm, need they, they need those things that are flashy and dramatic and new to, to, to capture their 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 imaginations but for me it's it's not the same story but it rhymes i'm, I'm <laughs> gonna crib lucas the entire podcast 
I mean, and you know, I I think one thing that that I see at least with and what I what I think is is great for Marvel and and Star Wars and under the umbrella of Disney in particular is the is the diversity of of storytelling that they've allowed there. Like Star Wars has branched out. You're you're talking about lots of different eras. Like Andor is 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 pre Episode Four. Uh, Mandalorian is post Episode Six. Before Episode, you know. 20 years before episode seven. So you, you've yeah. got lots of different eras. I, I would love for them to push star Wars for like, go into like und- undiscovered future territory. Uh, I hope that's coming in the future. Uh, I mean, of, of course I do want to, I don't, I want to make sure that everyone is, you know, we have to be cognizant. Like, I think it's great that they're telling these stories like Andor in particular, it's a great, like it's, it's like, hitting you over the head it's an anti-fascism story i mean it's it, it's it's you know something i know ne- i i genuinely did not expect it to be so like a like a blatant here's you know i and, and but i mean i should i should have expected that because episode four is you know stormtroopers literally where do stormtroopers come from that's literally so, <laughs> so what's funny know? is first from like a, a thirty thousand foot view every project they put out reflects the time it's put out in so 77 a new hope drops that's the story of the Vietnam War. Full stop. And guess what? We ain't the rebels. <laughs> America? And just I mean, just take the mask off of Star Wars, everyone. That's an anti-war allegory. It's an anti-imperial allegory. Then the prequels come, and it's happening during 2000, 2001, where certain forces are getting us in certain wars across certain parts of the country, world. Meanwhile, the story they're telling is a power-hungry monarch orchestrating two sides of a war. Yep. This is how democracy ends, with with thunderous applause. With with, uh, Homeland Security, the development of a brand new... (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They're always going to be direct parallels in the time they're written. And so, for me, I think that Andor was the first time that, as adults... Because, like, Star Wars came out before I was eight years before I was born. And so that fandom, because it's so rooted in that very simple truism of hope and making better decisions, you're able to pass that down to your children and their children because the story that comes for them, the first story, there's a generation whose first story was the prequel stories. And you might say, oh, what a poor bunch of kids. Hey, man, they also grew up in the shadow of Bush's war in Iraq. And so there's a lot of resonance there for those kids. If you watch Clone Wars, you're going to come out vaguely anti-war. If you watch Rebels, those Rebel kids, I'm not sure where they are. I'm scared of the kids <laughs> raised on Rebels. I'm horrified of them. They're going to burn it all down and make us all feel guilty for not burning it sooner. Like, I just... But it it's always at least attempted to speak to the larger zeitgeist. And so... When Andor happened and I saw the thunderous applause for that, I was like, are you sure you know what they're saying? And then you realize that it's a giant corporation in Disney that's one comfortable enough with their money. We're like, yeah, we'll tell them that we're doing bad. That's fine. I don't care. Whatever. Capitalism, <laughs> sure. I'm still going to watch it. But also, too, knowing that the story is worth being told. And yeah. part of it is having that established brand where, you know, this is generational, we're bulletproof. We can do anything. We can do, we can take Ahsoka from 
a Clone Wars when Ahsoka came out in Clone Wars. I didn't want to know it. She was a largely hated character by the fandom. It was a who is this? Why is this here? She's not in the. She's never mentioned in the movies. It's almost like they had a plan to address it, kids. How about you relax? (laughs) And now she's got her own show on Disney Plus forthcoming that everyone's very excited for. And so, Star Wars, uh, Transformers, X Men, wrestling. It's interesting to watch the art forms evolve as the people who were formed by that art take the reins of it. Where yeah. Dave Fioni is a few years my senior, which means he grew up on Star Wars. And now his job is to give us more Star Wars. Which, <laughs> how cool is that? And now there's a kid somewhere watching Star Wars whose job one day it will be to give us more Star Wars unless they AI it out. Which I, I, I meant it as a joke, but yeah. I said it, I got sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and that—that's you mentioned it. That's that's the thing that it's it's difficult because, yeah. I mean, we're getting these great messages in our media, but it's all owned by these giant corporations that you know are definitely they they definitely are are you know if if the money keeps rolling in, they would definitely put that boot on your neck and and not think twice about it. Uh, I mean, we see this with the the writer strike now. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how that's how that's going to shake out. I mean, they the the corporations seem not to be interested in negotiating at this point. I wonder, like, what's you know, if they really think that AI can take take can take over for the writers and 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 continue with their their gravy train. I they know it I don't yet, <laughs> but they're trying to buy time until it does. And that is the dangerous part of it all because they've got a longer financial timeline than writers. It's the same struggle you see in sports whenever there's a work stoppage. And it's always framed in the media as players on strike. And it's framed that way because the media partners are partners with the league and not the players. Um, And because they know that the players will fold first because the money's longer on the owner's side. There was a moment in the last work stoppage. I used to be a, I mean, I used to be an NFL agent. There was a moment in the last work stoppage where the advertisers said, "If the games aren't played, we'll still pay you the money." Mm. And it was that moment. I was like, "Oh, it's over, guys! I don't care what. There will never be a decent sized union that can ever budge the NFL again. It's over." And I have my own problems with the union leadership at that time. Shout out to Morris Smith. I've made that very public on lots of other forums. Not going to waste the time here, but it it was an example on how they will use the media against them. What's interesting now with the writers is that the writers aren't beholden to. I've only got three years of my money. My body's not going to last this number of years. And there's not a mm. draft class of cheaper versions of myself coming every spring. So they have a bit right. more leverage and they've seen what happened. Last time there was a writer strike, uh, NBC canceled all scripted programming, had to order the Celebrity Apprentice when they were about to cancel the actual Apprentice. They ordered Celebrity Apprentice, gains Donald Trump, returned to prominence, and he became president. So the threat the writers should say is it could be, I could give you another Donald Trump. And honestly, I think the execs would love it, but they get more fans on their side. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's. I, I'm not. I'm not the most fun to talk about these things. With. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Let's. Uh, let's. Yeah. Let's. I was looking for hope, Deep Palm. I apologize. 
<laughs> Hope is a lie, right? Hope is a lie. You read the books, you know. <laughs> but I do want to. I want to swing back around to um, what's going on with Hasbro. I don't know if you've been you've been keeping up with the new toys that Hasbro's putting out because it seems like they are like they're reaching back about you know ten years or so and saying, hey. All those IDW comics, uh, people, you know, there, there is a, there as a group of people who grew up with those IDW comics. Maybe you want some new toys. I and mean, now uh, those people have jobs. Yeah. And now those people have disposable income. And now I'm yeah. staring at Tarn on my shelf right now. Uh, like, yep, right. They, <laughs> <laughs> they, they looked and said, "Hey, man, this book sold really well with a certain sect of people. I bet you." We could go ahead and get some money out of those people, and guess what? They couldn't have been more right. Um, <laughs> I, I have no, I have no, I, I, I just sat here and whined about the, the evils of capitalism as I stare at shelves of plastic. Like it's, I'm, I too am a victim. I'm not just telling you things I've, I've, I think I'm telling you things I experience on a daily basis. I just pre-ordered Braun. I don't need Braun. Oh yeah, I don't need that Braun. I don't need it. <laughs> no. I, what are you gonna do with it? Put it on a shelf. Play with it once a year, <laughs> put it back in the shelf. And yep. I, I couldn't be more excited to get them here. Um, do I troll the uh, Target website for Snarl pre-orders? Yeah, of course I do, because I'm <laughs> sick. Because I'm sick, Charles. Something's wrong with me. I can't, I'm addicted. I got a problem. And they know it. And they know it. And the thing is, there's a special kind of magic to say, here's this thing that's only existed in 2D that you've become emotionally attached to. Because to be a monthly buyer of comic books, particularly non-big two is to engage in torture because there will be months where your comic is listed and it does not come <laughs> and there'll be spans yeah. I, mean, I read invincible as it came out me and robert kirkman should be in a fight but if i saw him i'd hug him because <laughs> i loved it i loved the, the weight was cool for me like when i saw tarn was up on pre-order i was i was there man it was it is a special engagement of the imagination to say this thing you've read about, this thing you spent so many hours with, so many intimate hours with. It's not like a movie theater where it's you and 60 other people watching an experience. It's not even a television yeah. show where you can share it with family members or friends and you can have like a watch party. It is you and a tablet or a comic book in a quiet moment, reading and experiencing <laughs> these characters. And when you can translate intimacy to say, oh, well, here's the plastic version of them for thirty five dollars. You're like, only thirty five dollars. Like, it's, <laughs> you, you, you felt there's a piece of you that leaps the chance to give them your money, and they've they've cracked that code very well in a way that some Star Wars toys sell fine, but they've got to sell like eight different versions of them: the Lego, the Hasbro Black, the X, Y, and Z. Same with X Men. It can be a little tougher sell, but with Transformers, there is that mystery of this thing I. This thing I saw in 1986, it's real. It's real <laughs> yes, now. Origins Bumblebee. <laughs> it's got one it's, of those too. <laughs> it's got the ability. It's not just real. You don't just watch it change shape. You can manipulate it and change its shape. You yep. can have it be something else. It is truly more than meets the more eye. than meets the eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's a damn good branding. Man. I can't. Like, the more I talk about it, they really hit the nail on the head in '83. Man, this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah yeah i got got to get that origins jazz too that's uh that's oh, it's it's, it's, it's not on my desk desk it's over there i can see it <laughs> he's got the grappling hook hand too which that was pretty cool yeah 
No, I also I gotta gotta thank you for Invincible. You guys, uh, you guys got me on the Invincible train when you guys did uh, review the Amazon show. I bought the like the three compendiums with the entire series. I read that thing like I think it took me about a month to get through the entire series. And I, I caught those I caught those little jokes in some of the interstitials about where you, you go to the comic book convention. He's like, your comic book he's come out late all the time. <laughs> I guess I. I I, I I wondered how the 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 regular readers felt about <laughs> about it was it was one of those things where like there, you would get eight months of no book and no words like <laughs> there's no there was no like hey it's coming guys it was just like you got nothing to tell you meanwhile Walking yeah. Dead just cranking them out over there you're like I know you I know you're alive I know you're breathing <laughs> you're writing these where's my book and yeah. at the same time the quality when it hit was so good that you kind of took it on the chin and kept it moving. <laughs> yeah when's invincible season two coming out i'm waiting for that that's uh i i it's it, i am an old man with this one because i know how long animation takes and i'm just like it, it's supposed to come out this fall but mm. i also know that i've got the books and i'm good but it's it's interesting to see how translation to medium because in the books it's it's even the first season like they added a lot they changed a lot i love that i thought it was actually a largely larger an improvement over the comics, which Kirkman would agree because he ended up rushing the reveal of Omni Man in the book because they weren't guaranteed to get past six issues. Mm-hmm. It's the logistical problems, logistical challenges of working with independent publishing versus Amazon's now producing your cartoon. And yeah. uh, I know you not having read it, we're both very excited for what comes next, but. Push them to shove. We've got those commit compendiums. We've got, like, hey man, if I need an invincible fix, I can watch Mark Grayson become a better person over the course of these 125 issues. Yeah. And for me, that's the coolest part of the four color medium of the of the comic book because, like I said, it's more intimate. You're spending more time with the character. You get the thought balloons where you can see what a character is actually thinking. Um. <laughs> It's just it's it, it it puts you in the boots, if you will, of the superhero or the the mech or the bot or whatever you want to say. It just it ties you more closely to it. You you can hear Tarn whistling the Imperium Suite, like as you hold him in your hand. You're like, man, <laughs> he was basically uh, if if Megatron was Space Hitler, this was Space Gobels. Like this was hor- a horrible, horrible figure. Like, yeah, but at the same time, you're like, but I got him now, and I think part of it was the rise and the interest and the dedication of the fan community particularly the third party community because Mm -hmm. it showed not only was there obviously people who are engineering and have done the math and you can make money off of this but there was an appetite and a thirst and a feeling of scarcity where it's like oh i missed out on uh, a perfect effect warden which i didn't i'm staring at idw prowl i just picked the first third party i could see but for them to say, oh, well, we could mass produce, we could totally make this a system and mass produce this. And so right now, like with the, the studio series, the Dinobots, which you can say, yeah, they've given mm-hmm. us Dinobots. They've never given us these Dinobots before. And so yeah. we're really reached. I've got, to, I've got a blur from the 86 movie and I got the IDW version. Like it's so interesting on how they've been able to convince us to part with our money because it goes back to what I said earlier when there was the big ensemble cast of these 25 bots who got locked on earth, someone's favorite transformer was gears. And that someone's got a transformer coming. Someone's favorite transformer was beachcomber. And he's got a new toy out with rubber wheels and a bird. 
Like, <laughs> we haven't had rubber wheels since the 90s? Yeah. We got rubber wheels again. Like, I'm going to get that. I have no affection for that Transformer. I'm going to get that toy because <laughs> of the rubber wheels. And that's how sick I am. It's also, it's funny to me, going back to the 86 movie, that at the time, Hasbro didn't realize that all their Transformers were some kids' favorites because they were so cavalier with killing off so many of, of our favorites in the 86 movie. I, I mean, love I, that we think I, they were cavalier. Two reasons to sell, my friend. Fear. Greed. <laughs> if I can kill your favorite at any time, guess what you're about to do? You're about to invest more and more in that favorite. You're not, no one walked out of the trans. People will say they did. I never watched Transformers again. You're a liar. You're a liar, sir. Because if they'll kill Prime, they'll kill anyone. And objectively, it was a clear the decks. We got new toys coming in. I get it. We get yep. it. We're grown ups. We're adults. Yep. But I watched Prime die before every football game I ever played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, uh, shout out to Seth Rogen, who seems to be like the patron saint of all indie comics getting turned into, He's into just uh, me with TV budget, adaptations. Man. He's just me with a budget. <laughs> when he pulled off Preacher, I was like, I'm in on everything. I'm in on everything. He put Jesus on television, and oh, I was just like, wait a second. They're agreeing to let you do Preacher? Like, when they announced The Boys, I told everyone, this is a bad idea, don't watch it. <laughs> the boys comic shouldn't have been made the tv show and every year they prove me writer and writer i'm just like guys this is because then you get the people being like this is what superman would actually be like and i'm like you missed all the points of all of this and it, and it horror it's that's where things get weird and scary for me where like i watch a segment of the fandom be like homelander's great i'm like homelander's a nazi like he's not even <laughs> pretending to not be a Nazi. Like, oh, what do you mean Homelander's great? Explain that one to me. And so it it, it lets people kind of tell them themselves, I guess, when you put these things out. But at the same time, it it for my opinion, they've been a, they've done a very good job of handling Garth Ennis's work, which was mm-hmm. immature at best, and like <laughs> shock jock radio at worst. And yeah. I think that they came in with. Uh, level of appreciation for the original but also seeing an opportunity to tell a larger idea or to communicate larger um themes through that so honestly to this point i I, i'd rather watch the show than read the book again honestly Mm -hmm. yeah and that's and and that's and that's the second that's a shorter version of fans becoming the creators that's a shorter life cycle of that happening but seth rogan like you said, the patron saint of nerds, I was so out on the idea of more turtles. I was like, what are we doing? And that trailer hit, and I was like, well, where can I send my money for a ticket? Because I'm they cast actual teenagers to do the voices of the kids. Mwah! That's a little bit of chef's kiss that you're just like, oh, somebody involved gave a shit. And in this case, we know it was the guy at the top. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, I I had not uh, like I have not read the preacher comics. I've I haven't read the boys comics. Uh, they're they're on my list, but like um, I I those properties first hit my radar just through watching the shows, and I enjoyed I enjoyed the shows. I enjoyed the I haven't gotten finished the boys yet, but I got through all of preacher uh, and and like Invincible as well. I think that was also produced by Seth Rogen too. So yeah, yeah I mean. 
it's definitely it, it's cool yeah yeah like you said you, you with the budget so it's great it's great to like it's, i know i know where they're coming everyone's from everyone's just like just do it seth it's fine <laughs> which i mean he's earned he's earned it he's got the trust of people who care he's put the time and effort into it and i if i was a super successful person who had a a, a property that was optioned I'd be like, can, can someone call Seth and see if he wants make Seth Rogan tell me no before I go anywhere else, please. Or you know, with Mark Millar with like 43 things in development and nothing ever coming out. That was my personal distaste for Mark Millar slipping out. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, I mean, so we've had, we've, uh, I think we, we've, we've gone through a lot of topics. I, I I want I kind of want to get into this, but I I I don't want to end on a bad note. But but I do want to I just want to ask you, wh- what's going on with WB? I mean, what like, <laughs> what, what? It's a the, new I day. Mean, yes, it is. James Gunn's <laughs> in charge. My faith is restored. Look, I haven't seen Guardians three yet. Please don't spoil it for me. But if there's one person who whose name isn't Seth Rogen, who I would trust with the property, it's James Gunn. Um, the idea that he's writing Superman makes my heart sing. Uh, I'm convinced that Kevin Feige was drunk at the Oscars one year and someone was like, I bet you couldn't make a movie about a talking raccoon in a tree. And he turned it into <laughs> Guardians. And so, like, you've got to remember, before the movie, there had been, like, two successful Guardians comic book runs ever. The mm. DNA run and then, like, I, I think that the Van Asher run had been gone on, like, 67 issues. Yeah, I, I had so, not heard of them before the movie. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of people was there. For, I was like, is this one grabbing the Avengers who just needed a good spit polish and sent them out there? This wasn't something that had years of anticipation. It was, you're making a what movie? And for James <laughs> Gunn to take that and infuse it with so much heart and love and care, there's not a better person I would put in charge of my film universe for comic books not named Daniel Palmer. And if anyone wants to, if anyone's hiring, I'll do it. I will, I will beat James Gunn by $1. Whatever you're paying him, pay me a buck. Let's do this. Um, but I think that, I think that we're on, we're in the beginning of something really, really, really impressive for what WB can do if they hold the course. And you got to remember, this is a company that's been parent company, been sold seven times in the last 15 years. So yeah, a lot of that has to do with the stability of the parent company. Also the relationship with the parent company, because since 1970, I believe it was four DC comics has been a wholly owned subsidiary of, of Warner brothers, not a partner and a line item. And so that relationship is not going to mirror what happened with Marvel. So people don't know, just really quick aside, Marvel in the nineties went bankrupt. They're out of money and they sold off a bunch of properties to keep things afloat. They sold uh, Spider-Man to Sony. They sold X-Men to Fox. They're two biggest yep. properties. And they said, hey, we've got, we've still got the, they sold distribution rights to, or and, and publishing rights uh, for film for the Hulk to Universal alongside Namor. And then I think Fantastic Four went to, went to Fox as well. So when they started the MCU, they had benched a lot of their A-list stuff. Right. The idea that your first movie for Marvel was going to be Iron Man would make you scratch your head if you hadn't asked a question or two about licensing rights. And so <laughs> in late 2000s, Marvel bet it all on Iron Man. If they had, if that hadn't worked, they would have lost publishing rights to Cap, Iron Man, 
I want to say there's one more character. Thor. Mm-hmm. They lost the big three. They put it all on all on Robert Downey Jr. said, hey, let's give it a shot. And it worked. And it put them in the position. If you go watch the first-run version of Iron Man, there's no Disney logo. Yep. It was distributed by Universal. But it was Marvel Studios was created to make that movie. Because the gamble worked, they entered that partnership with Disney at a different leverage point than DC did with Warner Brothers. And so when DC says, hey, we want our, our, our comics to become films, they then go from wherever they are as far as publishing and have to deal with the Warner Brothers film division. Meanwhile, Marvel has their own film division. And so a lot of that mm-hmm. is corporate talk for, it's just a bit more complicated WB and they're not valued as highly. And so what I think, what I hope, what I pray is that James Gunn can give us something to sink our teeth into. And as much as I am personally, professionally, and ethically disgusted with the way they've treated the Ezra Miller situation, um, they've been an absolute terror, a public health menace. They have stolen children. They have stolen money. They have held guns. It's it's all bad. And I say they because Ezra Miller being an asshole is not a good reason to misgender them. But I'm going to see this flash movie. (laughs) (laughs) In the same Unicron vein, I am but one man, my friend. And everything I've seen about this movie seems like they've made a fantastic Supergirl and Batman movie co-starring The Flash. And (laughs) I'm interested. I'm invested. It seems like it's going to be the kickoff for what James Gunn is really going to do there. And that, for me, is exciting. If I had my druthers, if DC, if you're listening, and you've got James Gunn and you want to undercut him by a dollar or maybe even ten dollars. We can negotiate. <laughs> My first movie would be a Teen Titans movie. Because yeah. we all know the icons. Let's see the kids of the icons. Let's grab that next generation of fans. Make it PG 13. Have it be a Justice League logo and then have uh lightning go past it and just have Teen Titans spray painted over it and say coming fall 2024. That's it. Yeah, there's our teaser. You do classic Teen Titans. You do Wally, Dick, Donna, Roy, and Garth. Maybe throw in Karen Beecher as Bumblebee for a little balance in the team. And you go tell the story. And go have them solve a not world-ending problem. The first Iron Man is not a world-ending problem. But meanwhile, the second Endgame has this large, encompassing problem. They're like, the rest of these movies are too small. If they're all big, then none of them are big, my friends. It's all about (laughs) contrast. It's how we understand the world. If everything's special, then nothing is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I I I hope they give James Gunn the, you know, they don't they don't put their fingers in his pie. I mean, I think that's that's been the problem with with WB is that they say they say, yeah, we're gonna put these creatives in charge, they're gonna do great things, and then Trump, they, they announced take... the big the, they announced the big cameo for Flash already. Oh, I didn't. I didn't see this. I'm not. I'm not going to tell you if you don't want to know. But I'll tell you if you have. I mean, it is. It's a cameo that I couldn't believe they pulled off. But I've been way more excited to see it in the theaters. All right. I. I. I'm looking now. You. You have my attention. I'll. I'll, what, I'll it, but the thing is, know? like, it's. It, it's. It's. Man, it's just. I need them to be more confident in their source material. And I think that that's the mm-hmm. one thing that James Gunn's going to bring is he's going to be able to stand on his own too and defend the decisions he's making. And say it's not just about 
I don't want to speak ill of directors who are no longer directing there. It's not about shocking the audience. It's not about <laughs> giving them a change of a character they know. You can only give the change if you've established the normal. It wouldn't have resonated in Captain America 2, Hydra taking over if we hadn't seen S.H.I.E.L.D. running things. If the first yeah. thing you did in the universe is Hydra's running S.H.I.E.L.D., you'd be like, who cares? I have no investment in S.H.I.E.L.D. If the first thing I got is Superman's going to break someone's neck, I've never seen him act heroic. Why would I care about this? It doesn't show me that he's been pushed <laughs> to an edge. It shows me that's who he is. And so the circumstances have to dictate the actions, and you've got to be respectful of the characters. And I think that James Gunn's armed with the care, knowledge, and experience, and the cachet. He's got the power to be like, I'm James Gunn. I made people care about a tree. <laughs> I got Vin Diesel $12 million over three movies to say I am Groot in various languages with various inflections. Don't question me. I got Bradley Cooper to do voice work for a character and never do a press run. He did a press run for three, but watch for one and two. He's not on one red carpet. He's not on one press tour. He is strictly voice acting and he, he puts himself into it. I'm not discounting his efforts. I'm just saying they're able to sell those movies with the two biggest stars in those movies being voices. Yeah. And now you're going to give him Superman. <laughs> <laughs> just really give it to him because, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm waiting on my Ava DuVernay uh, New Gods movie. <laughs> that's that's I told, never I told gonna everybody show up. I told everyone, I, I warned you all. I said, look, Warner Brothers loves a headline, hates the follow through. And when they're like, yeah. Ava DuVernay and Tom King are, I'm like, no, they aren't. No, they aren't. It's, <laughs> I can say anything. You can say stuff and watch stock price. You can say stuff right before or after the sale and watch the stock price rise. Mm -hmm. It's the follow through that really counts. And <laughs> I think that. Of all the people they could have picked, James Gunn is secure enough in his career to to walk if he has to. To say he's enough of an artist and he's made enough money where it's not like, oh, I'm trying to prove myself here. I'm trying to show you that I can make a good movie because I've only made bad ones. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> but the next movie he makes that's good will be his first one. <laughs> Sucker Punch, 300, <laughs> Watchmen, Visually Arresting, Soulless Monsters. He sucked the soul out of Watchmen, Charles. It's the most soulful book ever written. And he was like, what if I removed all the emotion? And in some ways, it's actually kind of impressive. It's a little bit like, if, he was, if that was the goal, he, he pulled it off in spades. But I don't think that was the goal. I didn't name any names. Everyone saw. I didn't say his name once. I gave a blanket resume of anyone could have directed those movies. Well, what you know, my my co-host Jeremy, he's the big uh, the big DC fan on on our show. So um, I, I'm 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 hopeful for him. I hope I hope uh, he get. I mean, he's like you. He's really he loves Superman. He loves like the you know the 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 message of hope that Superman has. And, oh. and he's, he's so disappointed with is he, all, is with he all watching the Superman and Lois on CW. I don't know. I'll have to ask him. I don't Please. know. He, I, I'm, I'm is, not watching it myself. It is. I I'm behind two seasons just cause life, but that first season is oh like to the point where my wife, she'd watched kind of the, the, the DC movies and didn't really resonate. Then she watched the animated ones, the newer ones. And she's like, mm. Oh, I kind of get it. And I was like, mm, if that's Superman, you get it. I don't know how I feel about that. But then she sat down and watched 
Lois and Clark, or uh, Superman and Lois with me. And she turned to me during the pilot and she's like, oh, I get it. And that's awesome. for me, that was that was it. I was like, okay, they're fine. This was the, the, the truest interpretation of Superman that I'd seen outside of like uh, Bruce Timm's Justice League Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell, yeah, tell your coach to give that a shot. If it's, it's a scratch the itch. And I too am crossing my fingers that man, oh man, they're going to let James Gunn run. And I, I, he, the things he's saying are great. And I think I trust them because they're coming from him. Because you're right. If it was another DC or Warner Brothers executive, I'd be like, please get off my television. How'd you get it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't click on this. <laughs> Uh, real quick, um, video games. I don't know. Have you? I know you. I know you've been big into the the PS, uh, the PlayStation Spider Man games. Um, I don't know if you saw if you caught the uh, the PlayStation uh, event with the Spider Man Two. I I still that's on my list. I played like a few hours of the first Spider Man, but I still have Spider Man and Miles Morales on my list. I go, I got to get back to them. I'm hoping I can play them soon. Uh, but uh, did you have? Did you get? Did you catch the Spider Man Two trailer? What do you? I, I, any I thoughts on my, my my alerts went off when the Taylor dropped. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel very exposed now. Um, I did. <laughs> I, I watched the ten minute trailer once, and I was like, "Susan, come here for a second. She's like, "What?" I go, "It's not crazy if I'm showing you the trailer." So then I, I watch it to back to back. Not crazy if I'm showing someone else. Um, I, I, I mean. It's been an hour. I don't. I don't want to keep you that much longer. But yes, I'm very, 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 very excited. Again, like I, yeah. I, I people joke and they think I'm kidding, but Spider Man was my first real hero. Like it's, it's no matter how life keeps going bad or beating you down, you do everything you can and you beat yourself up when you don't do the things you wish you could. And it's just, I, uh, I couldn't be more excited for the game. I, I'm excited for you to play both games. I'm particularly excited for you to play Miles Morales. Because there is a, it is a reskin of the original game. It's kind of a, uh, an additional like smaller game, but mm-hmm. you can feel the polish, even in the control scheme from the first game to Miles. And I thought the writing in the Miles game was tighter, um, but this one, it looks like a monster to me, man. And uh, it's going to get here right after my son does. So me and him are going to have a <laughs> good couch time, hanging out, watching Dad save New York. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm and I'm looking for like I I see, of course, the you know you've got the the symbiote suit, you've got uh, you know all the implications that get that carries with it. So uh, I'm curious as to where where they're going to go because you can play you're playing both as Spider Man uh, as Peter Parker and Myers Morales are both Spider Man, you know. So it's it's, it's going to be interesting cool. because I, when you play the game, you're going to see the origins in this universe of the suit. Yeah, and they're not going I, presumably. From what I've seen, they may be going alien. They put some hints in there. I think they gave themselves a little wiggle room to go either alien or more of the ultimate route. Uh, but I'm again, I'm a story junkie. Like I, the last game I played was uh, Jedi Survivor, which mm-hmm. the story just it it grabbed, it grabbed me from the beginning, and I, I fell in love with it. And I, I loved it, and so for this again, I, I love video games. But I'm not one of those. I want to be a grinder and get, no, I, I want to be told a really good story. I think that yeah. More even more than comic books, this is the most intimate form of storytelling because you're not just spending hours with this character; you're controlling their actions. Like you <laughs> are, 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 are hands on through every step of the game, through every step of their experience. And so, uh, I think that as more and more 
time and effort is poured in these games, things like God of War Ragnarok. It's it's, it's an arresting story. And I think that that is going to be kind of the future of storytelling. Video game writers, non-union. They deserve a union. (laughs) Uh, Animation writers. I learned this following Greg Weissman today on Twitter. There is a separate union for animation writers, and they already get paid less than the the live action writers. And so it's Mm. very interesting to see kind of what is valued and what's not as the art evolves. Because for years the goal for a sports writer was to have an opinion piece or have a column on the back page. And now it's around the horn. And I don't know if the job has changed, but the medium definitely has. And so I don't know if the job of writers has changed. It's to connect people emotionally into a story, but I think that the mediums are going to continue to evolve. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Like there's so many games that are five, 10 years where I'm like, well, that was better than any book I've ever read. Like that gave me, I felt more connected and invested in that story. Also, because when you lose, you got someone killed. You got someone here invested in (laughs) Spider-Man died and it's your fault. And so (laughs) I think that there's a, there's a definite uh, growth in that medium as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, speaking of you, I mean, comic writers and artists, I mean, they're, they're, they have, it seems like they have no protections at all. And and it's unfortunate. Like, they a lot of the a lot of these kind of legacy properties, all that source material comes from you know comic book writers and artists, and yeah, they largely are are getting really the short end of the stick, and a lot of times, unfortunately, one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, video game stories, I don't know if have you checked out the Horizon games on PlayStation? I've heard good things about them. I have not sat down with it yet. I do. Okay. Need to. Yeah. That. That is my recommendation for you. So right if you on. can get uh, Horizon Zero Dawn and Horizon Forbidden West, uh, if you're a fi- if you like good storytelling, great gameplay, I mean it's, it's and Lance uh, Reddick apparently yeah. I didn't realize he yeah, was in those games. Yes, he what he is he is all over those games. R.I.P. Lance Reddick, unfortunately, but yeah, he's um, that's a those those games are a high point for me, and um, yeah, I will sing their praises and and tell everyone tell everyone who likes. Uh, good storytelling in games and uh, you know RPGs, long uh, open world RPGs. Check it out. Right on. Um, all right. So maybe I think we'll we'll end. The last thing uh, I, I want to mention is um, the uh, we had the news just a f- like a couple months ago about uh, they finally uh, announced uh, details about the next Transformers movie. So the, an- the the animated feature that's coming next year in 2024. So um, and confusingly, they, the title is Transformers One, which <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why. Like, don't use a if it's not the first thing, don't use a number in its, in its title. <laughs> but it is. It is. It's it's supposed to be an origin story taking place on Cybertron. They announced uh, partially the voice cast. You've got uh, Chris Hemsworth as a young Optimus Prime. Uh, you've got uh, uh, I forget the who they who they announced as oh it was Brian Tyree Henry as Megatron, um, so interesting interesting uh, casting they've got there. Um, we don't have any more details about it, but it is it is supposed to be an origin story, um, and I don't I I hope there's some IDW influences in there. We'll see, but uh, we also have the uh, Josh Cooley directing it, who directed Toy Story four, I believe. So. 
there's some trust there for me at least that mm-hmm. that it's it's going to be something interesting but uh you know and i how how you know any thoughts on that or or what are your uh, you know what are your feelings i am cautiously optimistic uh when you do a transformers origin story and you don't say the words orion packs my ears like perk up like wait a second what are you doing <laughs> um but maybe that's just for press and you've got to do what you got to do to communicate things to a larger audience i get that too yeah um I don't know. It's it feels interesting for them to have gone so hard into live action since 07 to be pivoting to a theatrical film release. But I think this is again a testament to the success of movies like Toy Story, like the um the Incredibles, like the Spider-Verse movies that mm, yeah. you're able to engage. And again, this is nerds fans becoming creatives. Maybe there isn't space for you to get a Transformers live action movie or get a live action Spider movie, but if you can find a lane where you can still tell the story you want to tell about the characters that mean so much to you, you're going to pour all of yourself into that. And when you look at Spider, I, I can't go back to Spider-Verse just because it's on my mind, but that was a group of people who cared a lot, who invented new animation techniques to communicate their story and are pushing the medium forward. And so maybe the medium's at a place where they can say, oh, we can confidently do this Transformers animated story that that's an origin. And maybe post- Beasts, Rise of the Beasts, Rise of the Beasts. I think it's Rise of the Beasts. Yeah, Rise of the Beasts. Yep. Okay. Maybe they're going to be streamlining some continuity. Maybe this is all going to be in one big. And I think that'd be super interesting because no matter what we've seen so far, despite Marvel dipping their toe in it with What If, we have not really seen the different continuity jumping or same continuity, different medium jumping as far as the art form. And so for them to say, maybe we can keep this same universe going and do it with animation because then again, like you and I talked about the game of these brands is to create lifelong and generational fans. Mm -hmm. And while my son will see that transformers, the movie before he probably understands it (laughs) just because I've watched, like I watched it in my house. I I, I happen to play, I just had to play sometimes. This is cool because it gives another generational entry point. It is, Oh, that's going to be, like I said, this is going to be someone's first Transformers movie. And that's interesting to me, and that's cool, and it's not Bumblebee peeing on a... On, 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 on a, <laughs> on a I don't even... Like, what are we doing? I just... <sighs> I hope that doesn't happen. I hope... I hope I, yeah, I, I can't promise that won't happen. But I do hope that... And again, like you said, the voices involved, the people involved, it seems like it's something that time, effort, and care has been poured into, and the idea that you can have a money grab that also has heart and resonance seems like a new idea for parts of Hollywood, but I think that the fandom ones are the first ones to grab it because Obi Wan yeah. was a was a money grab, and I gave him my money. The new Star Trek, all the Picard, I'm not a Star Trek guy. I know my friends are, so I know how good that stuff has been. I know how how well received it's been, but I also know that they made some money off of it too. But we can make money and also service the fan is a new and interesting place to be. And so, like I said earlier, we've never had a a situation in this country culturally where fandom actually was a driving force for anything because there was no way to reconnect with old stuff. And because we have these archives and because we have to fill the airtime hours and because we have all the streaming services, everything in our past is accessible now. 
They remade White Men Can't Jump, and I don't know who that movie is. Who, who the remake's for? I can't. I sat down for like ten minutes, like, okay, so if you've never, if you've heard of the movie, you saw the original. If you've never heard of it, why would this be appealing? And I couldn't. I had, <laughs> I man, I, I had nothing. I got, I had nothing, and so I'll never see it. And maybe it's bad, maybe it's good, but I'll never know because I'm not the audience for it. Yeah, I mean, that's a, the world. You, you, the world we live in, there's there's something for everyone, and you know you you will never consume everything. So you know, there's a there's a fantastic like, book I start I read coming out of college called The Long Tail, and it's basically how what they've created with the internet is there's always someone to talk about something with. So for years, I thought I you would feel like I was the only one who loved Transformers in this way, who loved mm-hmm. Transformers, who had who could spend an hour just reading universe profiles or more than CI profiles <laughs> and like like things of that nature. And when you create this warehouse of unlimited space, you discover, oh, there's other people. If you are a huge, I'm going to go back to it, not picking on Gears. I apologize. If you're a Gears fan, <laughs> your, your love is just as valid, but I'm just, I'm picking on Gears today. There's probably a group of Gears fans out there right now, like being like, this jerk D-Palm was on transmission. Talking trash about <laughs> and that's okay too. There's space for that. There's no limitations as far as, how much we can keep and how much space we can offer things. And so the long tail essentially says that you've no longer have space limitations. So it bottoms out. So maybe there's only three or four people who love this thing, but that three or four people who are passionate about it are going to be able to find their community. And that's, what's cool about the internet for me. That's what's cool about fandom. That's what's interesting about what we're going to be doing with this culture war and what we're doing with this. How do we measure the availability of everything all the time, availability, excuse me, of everything all the time. And, And it's going to be, the companies that I've seen do it well so far basically has been Disney where it's like, we'll just give them everything. They'll tell us what they want more of and we'll figure it out from there. Or it's the other Disney slants of we've got a story to tell and <laughs> I'll be, we'll be damned if we let the whims of the fans who told us they didn't love everything. And then all of a sudden they love it dictate how we handle our business. And I think that that's the confidence with which, Disney's able to operate right now, be it Lucasfilm, be it Marvel, that I hope the footing is found over at Warner Brothers. Because if they can move yeah. confidently in their projects and not leaking and, and uh, inviting bloggers to set to court them, which happened, <laughs> I'm not, that's, a, that's a verifiable fact. If we can move in confidence and move in the fact that you know that what you've got is good and valuable and, and worth it and you treat it as such, then that's going to be a benefit to everyone because yes, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea every time. Everyone's not going to know nuts over quantum mania, but guess what? For me watching the third movie, be the biggest movie watching the investment of the actors, watching the investment of the story, watching the evolution of the story, watching the creeping dread over the seemingly lighthearted story. That's interesting to me. Is it $2 billion of box office interesting? Probably not. But is it worth it to tell the stories you need to tell? I think so. I think that's a good, that's a good place to end it. So, uh, Deepalm, thank you so much for joining me and and talking Transformers and lots of other stuff with me. Uh, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online and where they can find all your content? 
Charles, man, again, thank you for having me. I uh, I listen to you guys a lot, and I, I just I'm honored to be on the podcast and really excited to be hanging out with you, talking about things I care about. Uh, you can find me all across the internet at dpalm66. I believe in consistent branding. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at dpalm66. If you are in the business of finding a mortgage, I can help you out with that. I am in mortgage sales across all fifty states. DanielPalmerMortgages.com, uh, UDPod, and is over at Imchair Network along with the other podcasts I contribute to, including the Super Tuesday recap where we're going to have the Flash finale going up later this week. Excuse me. And also I contribute to the Character Corner podcast where we do long-form looks at your favorite comic book characters. And right now we're doing comic book character runs. We're doing Josh Williamson's run on The Flash. Fantastic. It was from Rebirth on through, I think, issue, I want to say 800 or uh, 850 maybe. But, yeah, we're about halfway through that right now. and. Um, yeah, just find me, follow me. I'm constantly pimping out my own stuff because no one else will do it <laughs> if I don't. Thanks again for having me, Charles. <laughs> yeah, th- uh, thanks for coming on. We will also put links up in, in our show notes so everyone can. If if you haven't, if you can't remember DPOM sixty six, we'll have a link <laughs> for you. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, thanks thanks again for coming on and, and thanks for for spending time with with me here. And yeah, we'll have definitely have to do it again. Have to have you on the main show as well. Uh, you know, whenever you're whenever you're available, we'll we'll make that happen. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Um, Everyone watching, if you're not familiar with Transmissions, if you if you just tuned in for Deepalm, uh, please consider checking out Transmissions. We're at transmissionspodcast.com. We do two shows every week. We do a toy-focused show and a comics and media-focused show all about Transformers. We also have a Transformers Live Play RPG podcast called Empire of Rust, where uh, some of my friends have uh, an ongoing role-playing session featuring all they are all Transformers characters in a variant of the IDW universe. So if you're interested in that, check that out. Um, and we do, of course, interviews with uh, lots of people. We just recently did an interview with the composer from Rise of the Beasts, uh, Jean-Yves Bonton. So check that out. Uh, we do all our podcasts on video now. So they're all over on video on YouTube and Audio, of course, wherever you can find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever. Uh, if you know how to if you know how to download a podcast, you can find us. Just type in Transmissions Podcast. That's it. It's pretty easy. But uh, yeah, thanks everyone for watching and listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Transmissions. If you'd like to join the conversation, travel to our Discord channel at transmissionspodcast.com slash Discord. Want some cool transmission swag? Feast your eyes on our transmissions gear at transmissionspodcast.com slash shop. If you'd like to support our podcast, go to transmissionspodcast.com slash support or tell your friends about our show. We'll see you next time. Transmissions.